This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Your spring is about to get a lot more power with the Home Depot. Get gas-like power from mowing, trimming, and blowing with the Ryobi 18-volt 1 Plus system starting at just $89. Mowing power that can take on a third of an acre with one charge. Trimming power with up to two hours of runtime. And blowing power with 110 miles per hour of clearing force. All on one interchangeable battery. Get cordless gas-like power for the entire lawn with the Ryobi 18-volt 1 Plus system. Only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. We're doing mid-season awards for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Conveniently, the off week right here in the middle of the regular season. Six games done, six games ahead. It's me, Doug Lamarie. It's Nathan Baird. It's Stephen Means. And a special guest, Richie Kybers. Richie. I believe you won our 2013 March Madness bracket, and it has taken us nine years That's correct. to get you on the podcast as part of your um, victory reward. Sorry it took so long, but you are joining us to offer your midseason awards. We'll have a playoff thing you want to talk about at the end. How did you, who won? I can't even, who won the college basketball national championship this year? I can't even remember. Could so the it? only reason that I remember is because I'm on here. It was uh, Kansas and they oh, yeah. upset Duke. Right. And it's, you know, it's interesting that uh, for, I've been, I've like filled out a bracket for you guys every year that you've had one and some other Ohio state sites. And every year, like I went into depth, you know, looking at magazines, websites and everything and this year, so I'm a pastor now, and so I'm super busy. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to not do any research, you know, Buckeye talk. Um, and, uh, and <laughs> oh, you're going to get it. Oh, you, my you God. Get it. You're going to get it. You get yeah. the show. You get it. So I, uh, so I just like, you know what? I'm just going to pick on feel. And, I, you know, I've been, I basically, for basketball, I just basically watch Ohio State and kind of follow. And I was like, and so, you know, I was like, no research and I won. So, and I almost uh, got on four to six with A and B. Um, the only reason I didn't is because me and another guy got the the bracket right, but he picked a closer score than I did. Um, oh. So I would have been kind of making the circuit on. Uh, and and then the other reason that, that you didn't get on that podcast is because it, it ceased to exist. Yeah, it doesn't exist. So that anymore. also, right. That's, it, that's went, it went out of business. Yep. You know. So uh, we love Ari and Bill. Yeah. So congratulations for being here. You're wearing your Ohio State Buckeyes cap. Yep. How did you come to be an Ohio State sports fan, Richie? So my my journey to Ohio State fandom is probably different than a lot of Ohio State fans. So I grew up just south of St. Louis, Missouri. And growing up in my house, um, my dad is a huge Cardinals fan and Blues fan. So um, I, Car- Cardinals baseball was king in our house. 
And I grew up in the 90s as a kid. And so it was kind of in this weird phase between the Cardinals NFL team leaving and the Rams team coming to St. Louis. And so I like football wasn't a huge thing in my house. And I don't know if this was this way for you guys, but like growing up, Missouri football games were on pay-per-view. Like you couldn't just, you know, now everything is on every channel. So you had to literally pay either a package or pay for individual games to watch Missouri football. So football was, I was a fan because I'm a fan of sports in general, but it was not, I didn't have like a college team and it wasn't really on my radar. So in my hometown, we had like a couple of, of uh, grade schools and we met together for uh, middle school. And so I had to, dre- you know, you had to dress out for gym. And so I was looking in my closet for clothes to wear in gym. And just so happened, I, one of my best friends collected college football shirts back in the day when starter was like really cool. Like when starter was like on equal feel, f- like footing as Nike. Yeah. And just so happened he left. I, this is the only way I know it happened. He left an Ohio State shirt in my closet. And so I wore it to dress out in gym. And keep in mind, I have like really no frame of reference. I don't know who the coach is. I don't know who the players are. There's this ethereal understanding that Ohio State is good at football. So I'm nervous about making friends. And I walk out into the gym and this kid walks up to me and he's like, oh, you're an Ohio State fan. Turns out his parents were alums. And so I lied to him and said, I love them. And just like pretended like I knew what I was talking about. I went home and like, did research and this was back in the days of like dial-up internet so I went home and like did my research so that I could kind of understand what I was talking about and through that season we kind of became friends over Ohio State football and now because of that was like 25 years ago and now Ohio State football is my favorite team of all my sports teams and football has become my favorite sport and so in a weird way, like that's how I became an Ohio State fan. Not the normal, like grew up in Ohio, my parents went there or whatever. It was like kind of a weird way of making a friend in middle school who was an Ohio State fan. And then ever since then, I've been for the last 25 years, diehard Buckeyes fan. And that's how it happened. So, Wow. Again, here with Pastor Richie Kybers, who lied whose fandom to, started yep. with a lie. That's right. Yep. So, and then you said to yourself, well, now I got to make up for my lie, which has turned out to be an important part of your life. It's wonderful. So yes. you said, I'm going to be a pastor. It all yeah, worked exactly. out. Are you, exactly. are you still exactly. friends with the guy who said? I am. And you know what? I actually have never told him that that's how it happened. Oh my God. So I don't know if he's going to listen to this, um, but I might tell him after we're done just so that he uh, he knows before he listens. So, wow. Yeah, that's my, that's that. my journey to Ohio State fandom. I was, I was trying to think of like who's like from St. Louis. And it's like, and that friend was Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. Like, well, that'd be yes. funny if that was the case. Too. So, <laughs> I wish. Um, so Richie, welcome. Thank Glad you. to have you here. We are going to work through our mid-season awards. And I'm just going to say up front, I screwed up the poll thing. It's not a shock. I like used a different account. And it turns out that account, if you don't pay for it, it limits how much you can vote and how you can view the stuff so we have like some limited voting from our texters i'll get it figured out they are changing over my computer it's been like a year-long process it is still driving me crazy i have a new computer but i have all my stuff on my old computer and nothing on my new computer works and i want to throw it out the window every day but that's why i screwed up the poll but at least we're going to have richie and steven and nathan and i checking in on this that start 
with the Offensive Player of the Year. The candidates that I sent out, Nathan, were C.J. Stroud, Emeka Buka, Marvin Harrison Jr., Mayan Williams, Cade Stover, and Paris Johnson. Were the, I, those are the choices I gave to the texters. You know, quarterbacks are quarterbacks. It, it, it's hard to get away from a quarterback for any team, but I didn't want to take C.J. out of the mix. Who was your Offensive Player of the Year at the moment, Nathan, and was it a close boat in your mind at all? It really is. Maybe we should have done it. Who is it if it's not CJ? I don't know. I don't know who else you vote for. Uh, he's it's the most important position on the field, and he is doing it better than anybody in the country right now. I just didn't feel a, a way to overthink that, a reason to overthink that. It's the, the boring answer, but I don't know what else is the answer. Um, I suppose if you're talking about most valuable and you want to start bending logic there to why someone else's emergence is more valuable i'll hear it but what this team looks like without cj stroud is catastrophically different than what it looks like without anybody else you just mentioned and he's done his job right he's done his job at at an incredibly high level without the best skilled player on this team um I mean, that cannot be underrated. Again, if you start getting into value above replacement and who their backup is and that kind of thing, it can get fancy. Maybe you could lead yourself down a path towards Paris Johnson, who I think hasn't given up a sack or anything like that. Steven, I think there could be, I think there could be a Marvin Harrison Jr. case here, even though a Mecca actually has more receiving yards. Yeah. Because Marvin presence without Jackson drawing some coverages as you as you have noted he leads the nation in touchdown receptions I think there's a case there did you think about it at all for Marvin I actually did some runner-up and honorable mention for some of this stuff out of fear that maybe we'd all just end up picking the same people he was stirred for me and it's because, I mean, Paris has just done his job, too, and has not given up a sack ever. I think the case with Marvin, Emeka takes away from it because, yes, Marvin, as I've said, Marvin draws a lot of attention with Jackson not being out there. But PFL just put out a stat. Emeka Ibuka leads the nation in yards after catch. So he's doing his job, too, as a guy who's basically spent the last three or four weeks here in the slot. So I think those two kind of like we saw with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson in 2020, they're taking away from each other because as long as you've got at least one of them, you've got something working out there. So obviously I had CJ first, but if I wasn't going to pick CJ, I would have picked Paris. Richie, is there a discussion here in your mind? Is it an obvious CJ choice? So I think it probably is obvious to say CJ, but I went a different route because it is so obvious and I picked Emeka Ibuka. Um, okay. The reason is because I think there was an anticipation of that going into the season, you kind of expected basically, you didn't know for sure, but you kind of expected from what Marvin did in the Rose Bowl, hey, he's going to be pretty good. And then you got Jackson in the slot. And then it kind of looked like there was going to be a split between Fleming and Ibuka. And then with, um, with Smith and Jigba out, Abuka, I think, is essentially, I don't know that, you know, I mean, I don't know that he's putting up better numbers than um, Smith and Jigbo would, but I think the fact that, like, there was an anticipation that he was going to be kind of a split guy, and I think you put him into the slot 
And I just imagine, you know, like you say, if aliens abducted him, if he wasn't on this team and you still had um, Smith and Jigba hurt to have Abuka in there, uh, if you just had like Harrison and you had Fleming and then, you know, a young guy in there, that maybe they would lock down on uh, Harrison and uh, Fleming. And then so to have Abuka in there makes me feel like the offense is flowing so well. And the fact that you just kind of you, you figure he's probably going to be pretty good, right? He was the number one receiver in his class. But to see him, to see the offense not lose a step without Smith and Jigba or without Alave or Wilson is pretty impressive. And I think Abuka is one of the big reasons why that's the case. And so for that reason, I picked Abuka. There's a lot of guys you could have, have gone with, but that was my pick. For what that's it's a worth, compelling case. Compelling case. For what it's worth with the Jackson, like just comparing him to what Jackson was through six games last year, he has 10 more catches, 200 more yards, and three more touchdowns in the first six games and what Jackson Smith the Jigba had in the first six games last year. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is one of those things. There are five or six legitimate candidates here that, you know, Peter Skaronsky, some people still view, right. as like the best tackle in the big 10, maybe the best tackle in the country. If you ask this at Northwestern, he'd get every vote. And it's like, well, Paris Johnson can't even break through a discussion like this. And what's the difference between Paris Johnson and Peter Skaronsky? We know this, you know, I didn't put Trevion Henderson in here because I don't know that he's exceeded anyone's expectations, but you can make it, you know, if you want to make a Mayan case, right. I mean, it's, I, there's something in and out. We also do have like a surprising category, which is where some of these guys will fit in better than just actual level of play. Nathan grain of salt, grain of salt, grain of salt, PFF grades. Number one is Mayan Williams, 90.7 on the year. Marvin Harrison, Jr. Second, CJ Stroud, third, a Mecca fourth, Luke Whipler fifth, but Nathan, again, I, you know, it's one of those things. I don't want to always take CJ out of it. I don't want to just make it be like, oh, CJ doesn't get any awards because we know he's so good. And then at the awards banquet at the end of the year, it's like CJ standing up. Well, I guess he would have his Heisman. Do you think that like Nathan would be like, we'd be handing like midseason Cleveland.com Buckeye talk offensive player of the year to a Mecca Buka, but, but CJ would have his Heisman. So he'd be okay with that. Or do you think he'd be like, dude, what are we doing here? Where's my certificate from Buckeye Talk? I don't think CJ would spend a lot of time thinking about this. Uh, We should do certificates. Who could do them? Richie, can you make certificates maybe that we could hand out? They might look like a junior high kid put them together because I would probably just have a a junior high kid in my student uh, ministry do one. But sure, yeah, if you wanted me to, I could. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll work on that. We'll get yeah. a little. We'll get in Photoshop and we'll figure something out. Um, can I um, can I not be there the day you guys hand it to him? No. We we all we all we'll all, we'll all hand out like three. So, uh, do you want to give? Do you want CJ? Do you want to hand out CJ's, Stephen, or do you want? Do you want to hand out someone else's? Um, I'd rather not hand the certificate to the starting quarterback. I've got a pretty decent relationship. I don't want to ruin that by giving about- him a certificate who would want to give brian hartline mid-season position coach of the year how do you think I'd he do would that react one. to that you, th- you think he'd hang that on his wall you i think, think it'd be funny to that? watch it honestly i genuinely think it'd be funny to watch his reaction and me giving him a certificate nathan who do you want to give a certificate to you want to give it to tommy eichenberg mike hall who are you looking for that you really want to build a relationship through the giving of a buckeye talk certificate um, uh, maybe I should give out the certificate for biggest worry of the rest of the season. 
<laughs> that would go over well. We'd like to call over uh, Tim Walton. Tim, could you gather the guys here real quick? Tim, okay. And a representative from the cornerbacks. Uh, Jordan Hancock comes over on crutches or whatever. It's like, hey, I'll take that. Sorry, I haven't been able to get out there. He's not on crutches. We're just He's not kidding. on okay. crutches. Yeah. Not. That we know. So, so um, all right. So congratulations to CJ Stroud. We'll get, maybe we can get like uh, like a stamp or something. Maybe some glitter. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Highlighters. We'll make a certificate for CJ Stroud. He's the offensive midseason player of the year. Defense. These were the candidates that I sent out. I tried to cover everybody. Defensive line. I put Jack Sawyer, JT Tumaloa, Zach Harrison, and Mike Hall in the mix. I put both linebackers, Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers. And then I put two safeties, Lathan Ransom and Ronnie Hickman. Uh, Richie, who is your defensive player of the year for Ohio State so far? So me, so I picked Tommy Eichenberg, and the reason why is because I think there was a there's a was a perception of him that he was kind of like a reskinning of Tough Borland, and so I think like part of I mean he's obviously been fantastic, but I also think he could like write a thank you letter to Tough Borland for the expectations kind of placed on him. Everybody kind of thought we're getting him again, you know, because he played some last year and it was okay. Um, but to see what, what he has done, and I know probably scheme is part of it, but I mean, like he, I I would, you know, I mean, I could see him possibly all American, you know, big 10 defensive player of the year. And I would not have expected that before this year. I don't know. I'm not necessarily saying he's the, the best player on the defense, but I think to this point to see what he has done with the expectation, you know, the, the, the history of so many great linebackers, and then coming off of uh, what we had, you know, before, and I know scheme is part of it, but just to see that he's like wrecking people and he's like always in the backfield, always seems to know what to do and where to be. Um, for, for that reason, I picked Eichenberg as my defensive player of the year so far. As we said, it's like we started off with Izzy Tough Borland, and now it's more like, what if he's James Laurinaitis? As I've said before, I do think, Nathan, there can almost be the thinnest, thinnest slice here in a discussion like this of who is the best player and who's playing the best. And I'm not trying to take away from anybody here, but Nathan and Richie, you're nodding too. Like, I think, Nathan, you maybe know what I'm talking about with something like that as we're trying to, like, evaluate an award like this. No, I think it's a, a an important distinction. And do you want me to go ahead and talk about who I picked? Yeah, go ahead. Who, who would uh, you have? I, so I, I give all the credit in the world to Eichenberg, but as, as Richie alluded to, I do wonder a little bit how much is scheme. Like really the truly most valuable player on this defense has been Jim Knowles, just the way that he's orchestrated things and, 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 ha- and, and, and it, it's the, the effect has been greatest, I think with Eichenberg, as far as just taking him and firing him downhill play after play after play deserves all the credit in the world. And I think that, although I think that you could maybe get something similar out of, of other players. So the guy that I picked, the one that I think is maybe, had his presence has changed the defense the most is my call. Which That's you have to do because you're the bus driver. It's you're not just because driver. I'm the bus driver. Yes, uh, I'm the bus driver though. Yes, it is. I, I, I am, but it's, it's not just to bring up my very, very, very correct call about driving the bus for my call. It really is like you look at this team 
I mean, what he did, let's just talk about what he did at Michigan State. I mean, two and a half sacks in seven or eight snaps, whatever it was. Seven. This this defense has not had that since Chase Young. I'm not saying that he is Chase Young, but I'm saying that someone on this defensive line wrecking games has not happened since Chase Young. It was a critical thing that this defense needed. I know that we had a lot of speculation about which end would provide that. And I think it will make this defense even better when an end gets to that level. But what he's doing right now is essential to the rise that this defense has made. Tommy Eichenberg is a a beneficiary of, and and is playing very, very, very well, and is a beneficiary of how overall well this defense is playing and the way that Knowles is using him to attack. But, my call, like as Larry Johnson explained it pretty well, I thought on Tuesday that because they they approach things in such a way that it's the ends that are demanding double teams or trying to get teams to have to to double on the outside, it's leaving my call one on one because they saw in the preseason how lethal that could be. Can we pause here for an award that I forgot to ask you guys about, but I think we can briefly have a discussion about it here and it is the Buckeye talk most correctedist prediction of the year and the two candidates are Nathan Baird driving the bus for Mike Hall Jr. and Stephen Means predicting Marvin Harrison Jr. to break Ohio State's single season touchdown receiving record of 17 and he has nine in six games. Stephen, who do you think deserves that? And Richie's getting the certificate. Richie's got like the third grade Bible school class making certificates. We may might we maybe won't give it to CJ Stroud, but we will give it to one of you two guys here. Stephen, do you think you deserve that certificate? I 100% deserve that certificate. Here's part of the reason why. After the Notre Dame game, one of the texters asked the question of, hey, Stephen, do you want to hop off that bus? It's not looking too hot. And then I doubled down. And then he had three touchdowns. And then a couple of weeks later, he's had three touchdowns again. He has, he's well on pace. He's actually ahead of schedule because might have been low. Up, yeah, I, I, I might have lowballed him a little bit here because this that's not this is not going to stop just because Jackson Smith the Jigba comes back into play here. He's too much of a weapon and such a different weapon that they're using to its fullest capabilities. They're not going to do stop doing that just because Jackson came back into the play. And this is with no disrespect to what Mike Hall is doing. My call has clearly been the biggest disruptor of the defense. But I do think that from a number standpoint, since Nathan didn't necessarily put a number on what my call was going to do this year, he could still end up with like six sacks on a year just because now everybody is like, wait, nope, we should probably be paying more attention to my call as, you know, uh, 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 Jim Knowles, so put the OES guy and not the oh no guy. So that means JT and Jack start maybe having more, you know, more fun on the outside, especially if they stop getting held while nobody's stopping Marvin Harrison from doing this at this point, but Marvin Harrison. Nathan, there is a a glitter certificate on the line here. If you would like to make your case. Well, I think as far as the mid season one, it's, it's no question that I would get the certificate because mine has already happened. Whereas Stevens is still just a thing that he's on pace to have. And I think Steven brings up a good point that mine will be even more correct when teams do start doubling my call and overcorrect there, and now other guys on the defensive line start eating. So if you've got to point that out, you could just go look at the box score and see mine. Well, when yours happens, we will give you all the pats on the back. He is more than halfway there. He is more than halfway there in what might be, and they might have nine games left. Um, 
Richie, who do you think should win the award at the moment? We'll give you the vote here. Would you say Steven is the most correctedest prediction so far or Nathan? Man, I'm just tempted to give you guys both participation trophies. And I love it. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> but I can, but you know what? That t- like toe tap touchdown catch that Marvin Harrison had against Michigan State. I mean, I've seen some pretty amazing touchdown catches in the history of Ohio State. I had to, me and my wife had to rewind it to see exactly what happened. And it was, you could hear a pin drop in the stadium. I think part of it was because they were, you know, upset but also because everybody else was kind of like, did that just happen? I mean, it was, it was incredible. So um, I think, you know, I'm, I think I'm on the bus for Marvin. Uh, I love what Mike Hall brings to the, to the table, um, but what Marvin is doing. And I know that there's a bunch of guys like him um, and not maybe so many guys like Mike Hall, but, but he's done some impressive things. So I think I'm rolling with Marvin right now. And I would like to say, I do get honorable mention for my 2,000-yard Jackson Smith and Jigba prediction and driving the bus for Court Williams. So I mm. could use participation <laughs> certificates for those, actually, if, if your kids wouldn't mind making them. Richie, sure. that's, it's, it's not great. Um, Steven, who do you have as your defensive player of the year so far? Are you Hall? Are you Eichenberg? Are you somebody else? Yeah, I went with Hall as well. I mean, two and a half sacks in a game and seven snaps in a game were quite – he technically wasn't supposed to be doing much because they had him on a pitch count. It's pretty impressive. And because the defensive – JT's getting held and Jack's getting held, and like the, he's the only one who's getting sacks on his own. And that we've talked so much about this defensive line not getting pressure but not always getting home. What Tommy Eichenberg has done is impressive – but it's really no different than what Malcolm Rodriguez was doing for Jim Knowles at Oklahoma state. It's just, he's the the middle linebacker doing it now. While with Mike Hall, his job, especially on third down is go get the quarterback. And he's the guy who's constantly going to get the quarterback. And it's, it's opened up so much other stuff, especially in situations where Jim Knowles is already an aggressive play caller, but he doesn't always have to be, there can be snaps now where he just rushes for and Mike Hall is probably going to get home. I do think when we have, we're having both these conversations simultaneously, the thing about Mike Hall is everything Mike Hall is doing is all about Mike Hall. There's not anything, there wasn't somebody who got hurt. There wasn't some great adjustment that all of a sudden Mike Hall is taking advantage of. Mike Hall is just beating people one-on-one in a very special way. You know, Marvin, obviously, it's going to be really interesting to see what, what happens with the whole passing offense when Jackson is back. Marvin has benefited to some extent, right, at least a little bit by Jackson being out. Although in some ways, maybe he hasn't benefited because he's getting more safeties hanging over top of him. Maybe that'll happen less. And Tommy clearly has benefited from the way that Jim Knowles is using him. My call is singular. My call is my call. And I do think kind of my question that I asked at the beginning, if you said pick someone to be abducted by aliens for a month, you're either going to lose Tommy Eichenberg or Mike Hall. I think I would pick to lose Tommy Eichenberg which is no disrespect to anybody. But I would pick Eichenberg for Defensive Player of the Year at this point, in part because Eichenberg leads the team with 303 snaps so far, and Mike Hall has played 132, and he's 15th on the defense in snaps. And that's not really what we're talking about, talking about high-level play and production when you are on the field. But if I'm going to vote in something like this, I, I would – factor that in a little bit but i would be curious nathan you know 
if Tommy Eichenberg vanished for a month and Cody Simon was doing this or Chip Trainum slid over or Reed Carrico or CJ Hicks, I don't know. Maybe there's a chance they would do a similar thing, but there's also a chance that if Tommy Eichenberg disappeared for a month, we still would think Jim Knowles is smart. We still think this is an attacking defense that lets linebackers make plays, but also maybe the guy wouldn't diagnose and be as aggressive and as physical and as talented as Tommy Eichenberg is. And maybe we'd come back and say, wow, that actually is a lot about Tommy Eichenberg. I don't want to assume it's only Jim Knowles, Nathan, and why Eichenberg's good. Right. And I even brought up that thought, obviously, in, in my reasoning for Hall, but I don't want to take that argument that far because Jim Knowles had a choice between Tommy Eichenberg and all those guys that you mentioned. And Tommy Eichenberg is a guy that they want on the field for every important snap for this team. And that, that they hope that they have him right through the last snap of the national championship game. So that means something. I think you're right. And if it's, it's, it's merely the, it's merely that, that presence I feel like the presence of Hall is different than the presence of Eichenberg. Clearly, the execution and the production of Eichenberg is there, but I feel like you – and you feel him too. It's just that what Mike Hall is bringing to this front has has a different kind of ripple effect to the whole defense. All right, those are our first two awards, two certificates in the house. Man, that's going to look good on Tommy Eichenberg's wall. We're going to have to split it because – we had two votes for Eichenberg and two votes for Hall. Maybe we can get a group photo, right, Richie? If you want to come down, Richie, where do you live? Uh, I'm I'm still in the St. Louis area, so okay. Like I can't remember how far that is away, but it's a it's well, a, we'll be a little it bit of a drive. You can drive up, and then sure. it'll be the, the four of us, and then Tommy and Mike, and like we'll do one of those presentations. Maybe we can get like a big like a big certificate, like a big check, you know, like you hand out to guys, and they can like. Maybe we can, we can invite Larry Johnson in and Jim Knowles if we want, have a little group photo. It'll be great. We'll do that, and we'll put that out uh, to the texters. We'll send you the photo of us presenting the Defensive Midseason Player of the Year Award from Buckeye Talk to Mike Hall and Tommy Eichenberg simultaneously. When we come back, biggest surprises on our Midseason Awards on Buckeye Talk. Your spring is about to get a lot more power with the Home Depot. Get gas-like power from mowing, trimming, and blowing with the Ryobi 18-volt 1 Plus system starting at just $89. Mowing power that can take on a third of an acre with one charge. Trimming power with up to two hours of runtime. And blowing power with 110 miles per hour of clearing force. All on one interchangeable battery. Get cordless gas-like power for the entire lawn with the Ryobi 18-volt 1 Plus system. Only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save 40% site-wide. 40% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Doug Maurice back with Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and our special guest, Richie Kybers. Stephen, surprising offensive player of the year. And I, I left this open as surprising good or surprising bad. And we're not trying to call guys out, but it's just like, oh, I, I, I thought this guy would be this. Who is the most different from what your expectations were? Who did you pick for offense, Stephen? I went with Cade Stover, but I wrestled in my mind a little bit with Mayan Williams just because, man, he's been really good. But I, it's less about you know, Cade Stover, more about 
they're throwing to the tight end. And I am very interested to see how much of that was you lost Jackson Smith the jig, but CJ likes to throw over the middle. So while you were trying to like press the reset button a little bit with these receivers and they were building a little bit of rapport with CJ, Cade Stover maybe benefited from some of that and so was able to have some, you know, four, get, four catch games and whatnot. So I'm interested to see if this is a continuous thing as the season start get, continues to roll because it's not like he was much of a factor against Michigan State, but they involved the tight ends and Cade Stover was like doing some things. It wasn't just like little two-yard catches and then he's getting tackled. Like he's averaging 12, basically 13 yards per catch. And he's getting flipped on his head and, you know, they're sending them down. They were using him like Gronk. What is it, Farmer Gronk? For a little bit there, he was a legitimate weapon for them. And I don't – we did an entire, you know, conversation about how many catches are the tight ends going to have this year. I think Nathan had him at 12, and he's already beaten that in the first six weeks here. And we were only at, like, 22 or something like that, so we six off of that. So Ohio State hasn't had a tight end with at least 30 catches in a season, maybe since Harmon, maybe. I Cade Stover is well on his way to that, which I don't think anybody would have said coming into the year. Richie, who's your surprising offensive player, Richie? I also went with Cade Stover because I think not just the fact that, you know, it's the running joke, we're going to throw to the tight ends this year, and they kind of have. Now it's been a little bit less over the last few games, but I went with him not just because they were throwing to him, but kind of my my thinking on him whenever I knew, like he's a big dude and he was thinking about, you know, he was like linebacker and trying to figure out how that was all going to work. And so I just didn't expect him to have kind of the, I mean, he's a, he's a big guy and he's powerful, but he has a little bit of finesse to him too. And I was not expecting that. So the catches that he's made, like the difficulty with which, you know, and, and just the, um, just the all around way that he's played and they've got him the ball and he's got himself open in the field. Like um, for that reason, I genuinely, for all of those reasons was most surprised um, at what they did with Stover. Like I, I also thought about Mayan Williams, but also kind of coming into the season, we've seen a little bit of, of him and know that he's, you know, pretty good. And so to see what Stover did was the, was maybe the most surprising thing so far for me this season. And so I picked him for most surprising offensive player. That's two for Cade, Nathan, three for Cade. Yeah. Three for Cade. And maybe the best way that I can articulate it is sort of what Richie is saying where I thought coming into the year, maybe the picture I had of him was of this athlete and a tight end sized body, but someone, a, a bigger athlete that they're using at tight end, uh, if that makes sense. Whereas now, and it's happened, it didn't take six weeks. It took like two. Now you look at him, you're like, oh no, yeah, it's, it's just one of the best pure tight ends in the big 10, right? Like, that's just who they have. And now he's a featured part of this offense. And we spent a lot of time in the offseason talking about which of these like second guys was going to step up, whether it was going to be G Scott or Joe Royer and how much would the second tight end be involved and sort of with an undercurrent of when is one of these other guys going to maybe rise up and and make the Cade Stover thing not have to be as important in a way like you know get get someone else going that develops and and makes it so that he's not the only option and now it seems completely fine that he is their clear 1a at that position and there's other people helping out but this is the guy and he's it's the way that he has stepped up and seized 
that job both physically and probably just as importantly mentally and bought into it completely and made it his own identity is showing up on the field. 65% for Cade Stover in the texture vote that I have access to. I have access to some of the votes, not all of them. 65% Cade, about 25% Mayan Williams. So I'm going to reflect that and I am going to go Mayan Williams. And part of it is because I don't know if the Cade Stover thing is going to be sustained like this. The last two games, he has four catches for 18 yards. And again, it's blowouts and whatever. But his two big, you know, he had three for 83 against Toledo. And that's Toledo. He had two touchdowns against Wisconsin. What? So I don't know if Cade's going to sustain it. And I'm not surprised that he's a great blocker and that he's a really good football player. He has much better hands than I anticipated and all the things you guys said of the way he's involved in the passing game. If you had told me that Mayan Williams is going to be making an argument that he's better than Travion Henderson, that some people think he should be the number one back, or that it's definitely a split and that he is more than the backup. And I almost would combine that. It's almost like a half Travion, half Mayan Williams thing. But the idea that Mayan Williams, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't. But that he is, at the very least, I think right now, equal to Travion Henderson in his production, his value, his importance to this offense, I would not have, I would not have guessed that. And I know what he's done before. And I, and I know um, that a lot of people liked his production in, in small moments, but I thought he was a small sample size guy. And then he's been getting bigger sample sizes and he's running people over. And so that, that, that this whole conversation, Richie, that, you know, we've been having on this podcast the whole year that we've been having with the tech subscribers, which guy is better, which guy should be the lead guy, should they split it? I just would not have anticipated that. And I think maybe that will be, that will continue more in the second half than maybe Cade Stover, big time pass catcher will continue in the second half. Cause I just think maybe when Jackson's back, maybe the offense will evolve away from that a little bit. I am very surprised by this. And, and it's certainly influenced by the fact that everybody knows that I, underestimated Mayan in the past. Are you surprised? Was it a close vote for you, Richie, between Cade and Mayan? Or is Mayan Williams like, are you not surprised that by much of what he's doing, Richie, because you believed in him the whole time? Well, I think it, it's kind of twofold. It's I'm, I'm not surprised by him, but also, um, you know, I know that it's kind of mixed uh, perspective. But for me, I think that Travion is better and the, the reason that I think that is on is kind of in a weird way on Mayans, maybe best play of the year that like 70 yard touchdown run he had against Rutgers um, was awesome. And also you could tell he was when he got about three fourths of the way, he started slowing down. And the, the, I've kind of thought that he was going to get caught from behind and with Travion, you just, I, I know that straight line speed is not all that there is. And some of the ways that Mayan bounces off people is amazing. I mean, he had, he's had a couple of plays where you thought he was going to be tackled for a loss or in the backfield and bounces out of it somehow. Um, but on that one play, I think it both showed the, the positive side of Mayan and also why I think Travion is better because he can do a lot of those, th- those things. And when he gets open, he's just gone and so because I kind of, you know, I kind of had a perspective on my end that like some of the things that he did, even going back to that, to the Clemson game where he came in and kind of was like, whoa, you know, they did some pretty cool stuff. So I kind of had an expectation that he was going to be good. Um, 
even with the the idea of they might throw to the tight ends, even with that being a, a, a part of this, I did not expect Cade Stover um, to do what he has done. And you're right. I, I don't think it I would be doubtful that it's sustainable. But in the in the realm of like right now where we're at, um, I'm more surprised in what Cade has done than I am in what Mayan has done. All right. Most surprising defensive player, Nathan, I think there's going to be some similar stuff here, possibly to the conversation we had about best defensive player, because both Tommy Eichenberg and Mike Hall, in addition to being very good, are also kind of surprising. Who's your most surprising defensive player, Nathan, good or bad? So this is where I put Eichenberg. I think I could just as easily put Hall, I suppose. But with Eichenberg, to me, I mean, this is a guy who had the job last year and lost it like Cody Simon was a guy that they picked very clearly even an injured Cody Simon they thought was the better Mike linebacker for that team last year now that may say something about who was making that decision at the time but nonetheless like as far as if we're just basing what we know after six games compared to what we thought before the season that really weighed heavily on me and it's pretty obvious now that there would have probably been a way to use him last year. Not that he probably hasn't improved in the past year, but you, th- there was a way to use him and all the linebackers last year that would have been much more productive and given this defense a better foundation than, than what they did. And he has gone from being someone who, as Richie alluded to before, was kind of like a try-hard guy, and you think he would, you know, he'll he'll always have a place on the depth chart and be a special teams guy, maybe to being a legitimate contender for some of those things he was talking about. Steven, who's your surprising defensive guy? I picked Eichenberg as well for pretty much every reason Nathan just named. I, I think we we almost last year talked about a lot the tough Borland Baron Browning dynamic between Tommy Eichenberg and Cody Simon and that being the case, that's just like not even a thing anymore. It's almost like Tommy Eichenberg has somehow combined those two human beings and he is having the production that we would expect, like the Baron Browning type of athlete to have at linebacker while also still bringing, you know, I mean, the way Jim Knowles talks about the way he picks up stuff, he's grunting a lot too, but the way he talks about like the way he thinks the game, that's very much, you know, what you want out of your Mike linebacker. So I he's got 50 tackles. He's well on his way to hundred and I would not have thought that coming into the year. Richie, what you got? So I picked Denzel Burke um, for the fact that I thought that he was going to be better than he has been this year. Last year um, on a struggling defense. I mean, I, I think it was at least in the conversation that he might have been the best defensive player. And that's pretty crazy as a freshman that for whatever, I mean, you could basically put him where he was at as the corner and kind of forget about him because he was going to do his job. And I think legitimately he was beginning something that the way that he played last year, I thought there's our next first round corner. And Mm. to see how um, that has not, you know, I I think the, the defensive stats still this year, um, are you know we're nitpicking because they've been good overall like in all phases um, but he has the the way that the foundation that he started last year and just like a lockdown guy I mean nobody 
if you threw it to his side of the field, he was going to make a play somehow. And to see the, and I know the injuries might be part of it. I know that he's been banged up. And so that has something to do with it, but there are some plays where it looks like I'm like, I don't know that he gave everything that he could have given on that play. So uh, the, the touchdown, I guess, it, I think it was against Rutgers. Um, and there just seems to be opportunities that maybe he's not taking full advantage of. And to see who he was last year as possibly the best defensive player on the team to go from that to a, maybe a liability um, this year, maybe that's a little bit too harsh, but just the, the, the difference in his play from last year to this year made me pick him as the most surprising defensive player because I thought he was going to be a lot better than he has been so far. Poll voting, Eichenberg, 37%, Burke, 29%, Mike Hall, 27%. And I would pick Burke as well because I just, I agree with that. I thought the corners would be more of a strength as opposed to being sort of the thing that we're talking about um, as as the primary issue with the defense. It's PFF grade again, grain of salt. Last year was a 68.8%. Um, this year is a 60.9. The coverage part of that last year was a 66.8 in coverage this year, a 58.4 in coverage, which, which just is not great. Um, we've, we've had a lot of these conversations. It just, I think it depends how you want to bend this a little bit, but I think we're kind of all in the same, same range here. Again, the idea that if you said Tommy Eichenberg and Denzel Burke, We're going to be talking about one of them as the best player on the defense, potentially, and one of them as a potential question mark. Who's who? I mean, who in the world would have picked Eichenberg, best guy, Burke, question mark before the year? Nobody. So I think either of these could go these uh, these ways with the defensive surprise. All right, let's go to an assistant coach question. And um, this is sort of like the position coach of the year. And for this, we said, don't count Jim Knowles's scheming as part of his deal, because we really want to think about sort of coaching your individual players and getting the most out of them as a position coach. Because I think, Nathan, if we said, hey, who's the best assistant coach? It's like, oh, I mean, the, the $2 million defensive coordinator who's redesigned the defense. And has made it, it wouldn't have even been close. So we tried try to splice that. Think of Jim Knowles just as a linebackers coach. Nathan, who'd you pick? This is one, it's sort of like with the CJ Stroud thing. Could you always just vote for Brian Hartline here? Because, and and maybe if you don't vote for Brian Hartline, it's because he has set the baseline so high that it's hard to get. Um, And the more I think about it, maybe I should have picked Hartline, but I actually picked Tony Alford here because of partially because of what they've gotten from Mayan Williams. I suppose you could ding him for if if you think that Trevion Henderson has underperformed, but to to be getting the full production out of those two running backs right now, and to have shown that you know Dallin Hayden, who gets some credit for this for himself, but showing up this late and getting him into a position where he can be the the number three running back, and for people to not really be that worried about that at this stage. I mean, a, a true freshman shows up in the summer, uh, considering they've had one of those other two guys missing for an entire game here the last couple of weeks and partially because of the competition, I suppose it didn't matter, but also because I think Dallin Hayden already has people's respect as a guy who belongs on the depth chart. All those things together took what you know could have been a position of concern and made it a position of strength, sort of no matter who they're putting there right now. Now, it, some of that goes to Justin Fry because this offensive line is performing so well, especially in the run game right now. But 
I give Alfred credit for having a really deep room when we might not have expected it to be quite this deep going into the season. Good case. Again, multiple candidates here. Multiple candidates. Uh, Richie, who you got? Corey Dennis, I assume, Richie? Corey Dennis? <laughs> no. Um, I, I'm i with Nathan. Like, I, I think it could be, you know, everybody could say Brian Hartline. But I think it would, I mean, it would be easy to just call this, like, the Brian Hartline award presented to the best position coach so far. And so I picked Justin Fry um, because I think, you know, he's, he's working with basically the same offensive line as last year. And I think the fact that towards the end of the year, they didn't live up to the potential. And I think Justin Fry has them at their potential, but not, but not just because of that. Um, I think obviously with offensive line recruiting that that is uh, maybe the weakest position group recruiting wise. And and I think it's because of some of the things that we've seen in the past. So for the fact that he has them playing at their potential um, when maybe they didn't last year and the fact that now I think maybe five-star guys who are not just, you know, in, in Columbus or in the Ohio state's backyard might look at this and see, Oh, you know, this is, this is, some impressive stuff that they're doing and might consider Ohio state now when it's kind of been like, you know, lower ranked guys that will get them and develop them. Um, and the, the thing is though, you know, Justin Fry seems to have head coaching aspirations. So maybe, you know, it'll just be a one-year thing, but I think what he's done with the offensive line and getting everything out of them and the potential recruiting um, upshift with offensive linemen is the reason that why is the reason why I picked Justin Fry as the best position coach so far. This might be a big photo when we hand out this these certificates. We might need we might need to go to the photocopier and make a couple extra. Steven, who's your choice? It's Brian Hartline. I know where everybody else is trying to tiptoe around this thing, um, but just like with C.J. Stroud, you just give it to the most obvious guy. And to be honest with you, though, because it's he's the obvious answer. This is probably the only way he would actually win it. He lost two first-round receivers, and he lost his best weapon 15 snaps into the Notre Dame game, and there's been zero drop-off. In fact, he's just created another super, two other superstars, and then Julian Fleming, who wasn't available the first two weeks, came in and immediately started catching touchdown passes. Marvin Harrison leads the nation in touchdown catches. Emeka Buka's tied for 10th, and Julian Fleming is tied for 19th. Well, I'll say it's the only team in the country with three guys in the top 20. And so it's, you know it, – I, we, and we've seen other position coaches at Ohio State lose a guy who might be the best player in his position in the country, and there was significant drop-off. Like we saw it with Nick Bosa. Bosa went bye-bye, and Chase was good, but the defensive line as a whole, eh. Wow. I, mean, I like that your case for Brian Hartline got a little swipe at Larry Johnson. It did. It's just Coach Jay, I don't know, man. You basically lost three guys who are going to be top 15 picks over the next two drafts, and it was like, okay. We'll just throw out some more guys who might be two of a, two of those might be top 15 picks. And Julian Fleming looks like he's at least a second rounder with the way he's playing. So. I don't know about that, but yeah, but I think, I mean, it's a very compelling case and it's hard, Stephen, when you think about this stuff, it's like, well, we knew they were talented, right? Emeka was the number one receiver recruit in the country. And so it's not, you know, in completely impossible, but also then, well, Brian Hartline gets credit for that. It's like one of these things. It's like, oh, yeah. well, great development of bad recruits, or not bad recruits, great development of 
of underrated recruits position coach. Well, it's like, why weren't the recruits better? I mean, there is some part of this that I think it's what you're getting at, that there's such an assumption with Heartline because the talent is so deep, but the talent is so deep because he brings in the talent. So why doesn't he gets credit for all of it? And the bottom line is they had the best receiver room in the country last year, and they have the best receiver room in the country this year. And they're missing the guy they thought was going to be the best guy. And the other two guys are in the NFL as first round picks. So you're, you're probably right that, and as Nathan said off the top, maybe it's like, again, we just named the award for Brian Hartline and he can help us present it to other people. But I did think of it like a little bit more of developing the guys you have and getting the most out of them through your coaching. So I did pick Jim Knowles like as the linebacker coach. Because I think he is, he has developed, and again, his scheme is part of it. I'm trying not to account for the scheme, but just in coaching up those linebackers, I think he has Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers playing as well as they can play. And he wasn't here to recruit any of those guys, and he's got to land some linebacker recruits, right? That's going to be part of this. But I think he is absolutely positively maximizing with his technique with his motivation, with the way he talked, the the relationships he's developed, the way they are freed up and attacking. I think he's, he's getting the most out of them as a linebackers coach. And, you know, he's not quite working with a a Mecca and Marvin. Right. So, I mean, it's, is that, do I knock Brian Hartline for that? Again, we all agree. We all could pick Hartline and maybe we all should pick Hartline, but the bottom line is they have a bunch of guys doing their job, which is what they should have. They're Ohio State. Everybody wants to work here. They pay well. They should have great assistant coaches, but it feels like they really have some very, very good assistant coaches on this roster, on this team. And that is not always how we think about this, Nathan. This is not, I don't know. We've been having a big Matt Barnes conversation a year ago. Like, oh man, I just can't believe how good Matt Barnes is. He's really bringing out, you know, there wouldn't have been as many candidates for this a year ago as there are now. Well, that's why uh, a lot of those guys aren't on the staff anymore. Obviously, there would have been a a there would have, we would have had a better discussion of like most underwhelming performance. Frankly, the certificate uh, would have were... been pink slips. <laughs> oh god! Yeesh. Why is this certificate pink? Oh, it's just Richie's Richie's what kids just colored it pink. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Um. No, I think that's a great point that if you were to, I mean, if we were to look back at the midpoint of last season, you know, uh, I guess we would have probably voted for Heartline there, maybe unanimously, because I don't know what other position group we really thought was getting it done at that point. Quarterback yeah, and running backs, I mean, even, even quarterback at the midway point of the year, Stroud wasn't, like, he had just kind of started to click in. Coming yeah. off, he was taking the week mm-hmm. off. He, and so that probably wouldn't have been who we voted for. Uh, tight ends, no. Uh, maybe running backs. Henderson, you know, it, it might. It, Tony Alford might have gotten him. some love last year, too. We'd have dinged him for taking so long to get to Travion, though. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. True. So I do want to say this, it. though, um, just because I think he should be mentioned under the same guys that you put with Jim Knowles, but also just so I can have to play outside of Heartline like you all did. Perry Eliano. Ronnie mm-hmm. Hickman's doing his job well. Uh, Lathan Ransom is very good. Josh Proctor's good when he's out there. But really, the reason I wanted to name him was he did the thing that fans always ask people to do. 
don't get married to a guy. If he's not playing well, take him off the field. And he did that from the first series of, this, of the season. Josh Proctor made a mistake, nipped it in the bud, put Lathan Ransom back out there. We never saw Josh Proctor again. And I felt like there were a lot of fans who were like, thank you. Stop just sticking with the older guy for the sake of sticking with the older guy. No, that's true. And a safety-driven defense, he's a safeties coach, and the safeties yeah. are playing very well and doing their job. And he has had to move some guys around back there. Um, you know, even when like Tanner McAllister was out and Cam Martinez had to play and Cam Martinez played well, and then Cam Martinez was out and Kai Stokes has had to play at times. And like, and the safety play again at a time, Stephen, when we were talking a lot, they had one injury last year at safety and it blew their whole defense apart. Josh Proctor got hurt and was like, well, that's it. And they've had some stuff to deal with this year and they've had multiple guys in there and they've always done their job. And so Perry Eliano, again, who was coaching corners at Cincinnati, he's leading that safety group, and he certainly de- deserves um, some attention for that. All right, let's do who's the player you now think is a future star that maybe you didn't think of quite that way coming into the season? Richie, we'll start with you. Who stands out? Yeah, I picked Lathan Ransom. Uh, I think, you know, um, for the fact of like Josh Proctor being, uh, you know, a former five-star, you know, just expecting – him to step up and from some of the mistakes that ransom made last year, like, especially in the Oregon game, I just to see him, not just like know what he's doing, um, but to be able to apply his knowledge to the field in a way that he like is exactly where he's supposed to be uh, to where he does pop, but also he pops for the right reason, right? It's because he's making the plays he's supposed to be making. He's not out of position. Um, and, and he just, I mean, he, he, has stepped up and has done things that I think were, I, I kind of wrote him off. I was like, Proctor's back. That's great. Put him in. Don't have to worry about it. And the fact that Ransom is like maybe overtaken Proctor and like taking his spot was pretty surprising to me. And I think it's deserved. And so for that reason, I picked Ransom. Steven, who you got? I had Ransom as well. And it's mainly because he's finally to an extent playing the position they recruited him to play. Obviously, they threw him in that cover, at what was called the cover safety at the time in 2020, even though he showed up six months before because everybody had COVID. So they had to throw somebody out there and he played pretty well. And then last year, he was kind of playing all over the place. There was even a point where he was, you know, a cover safety again. And it was like, shouldn't he be like a, a high safety or something like that? This year, they're finally playing him at that position. He's playing the band in. It's because Ronnie Hickman doesn't come off the field. But we, as we've talked about in a video, we think that, uh, Lathan Ransom will be the starting adjuster next season, but he's playing a role he was recruited to play. And so he's thriving in that role and outplaying his recruiting ranking a little bit. Cause it's not like he was a top 100 recruit either. He was like in the top in the two fifties or somewhere around there. So it's, I definitely picked Lathan Ransom from this position. I feel like I've been not driving the bus, but like I got on somebody else's bus with Lathan Ransom and it's finally paying off this year. And Jim Knowles was talking about that. He, he Jim Knowles was saying like, he thinks like an adjuster, but we have an adjuster, so we're putting him at the other at the bandit, and he can also do that. So you you do see you see what he's doing now, but it's not hard to picture what he might be next on this team, and it's pretty good. Nathan, who do you got? I didn't realize this was going to be such a landslide, but I, I picked Ransom also. And I guess we could have an argument about how much a, of a star any safety can be, but the way that First of all, I mean, just just what he has 
inside of him to come back as fast as he did told me a lot. And not just to come back and be around, but to come back and be able to then, when they want to pull Josh Proctor out and have somebody else in there, the first game of the, you know, second series of the first game of the year in a huge game. I mean, at the time, we thought that was, you know, it wasn't like it was the season, but it was close. Like, if you lose that game, how, how much it changes the complexion of everything. And what we're now not just seeing from him on the field, but also again, the way that Knowles talks about him. And it's, it's not even that, yes, he, it seems like in an, in another world, losing a guy, a, a, a multi-year starter like Hickman, when he's gone, you kind of think like, Oh, what are they going to do next? And, and yes, that's obviously a, a secure now. Like clearly that's what he wants to do. But beyond that, the way that he talks about how, when you're, when they're watching film and how they kind of can't take their eyes off ransom or that he is just sort of demanding their attention with plays he's making. That tells you a lot that that's a, coaches don't like throw those kinds of things around a lot. They don't it's, sometimes maybe even especially when it's a small sample size, they're wary of it, but this tells you what they think they have in him and that there's every expectation. He should be one of the best safeties in the big 10 next year. Uh, he did not win the vote. Mike Hall was first, Stover second, Eichenberg third, Mayan fourth, Lathan Ransom was down the list fifth. I would also go Ransom. The only other guy that I was maybe uh, thinking about here, I mean, it's one of those things, the receivers, it's so hard because the expectations are so high. It's like, oh, I didn't, now I think Emeka is going to be a star. It's like, what? who didn't think that, you know? So sometimes like Emeka, Ibuka can't win this because he was the number one receiver recruit in the country. So you can't be surprised. Maybe Luke Whippler here. I was just checking the PFF numbers. He had eight penalties last year. He only has one this year. His his PFF grade is up even a little bit. I know he was like a borderline top 100 recruit, but he was like, a, I don't know if I just thought maybe they've had this weird run at Ohio State, right? Where they kept moving some guards inside to play center, you know, for a little bit for a while, whether it was Pat Elfline or Billy Price or Michael Jordan. Before that, you know, Jacoby Boren, um, was a guy who like locked down that center spot for the national championship team. It was always an undersized guy, right? And Whipler, he was like this try hard, study hard guy, right? Nathan, like we heard all those stories, but he just is a little bit more of a butt kicker, maybe than I realized. Like Luke Whipler, the way he talks, he's like, Yeah, I was uh, studying. And then I saw something on TV and I picked up the TV and threw it out the window and beat it with a baseball bat. Cause I saw a Michigan helmet on the TV and it's Jersey. like, you seem to be very smart, but my goodness, you are very into this. And so there's a combination with Whipler. I think of smart and like physicality. And he's obviously very talented. He was a top borderline top 100 national recruit that I, I feel like I might have underestimated him because last year he kind of got thrown in after Harry Miller's career ended. And it might actually be that, I, I don't know, like could Luke Whipler be a first team All-American next year? I We've seen great centers here. I You know, when Nick Mangold he, was here and now he's retired from the NFL, it was a long time ago, but it's like, you looked at Nick Mangold, it was like, yep, that's it. That is it. Corey Lindsley has developed into a great center. Josh Myers is now a great center, right? In the NFL, right? I mean, like we... We've seen it come through here. I wonder, Nathan, if Whipler might be on that path, and I maybe didn't realize that before this year. I think he is on that path. I think one of the things that 
made us question that a little bit was just because he was here just a little bit behind Harry Miller. And we always envisioned Harry Miller moving back to center and locking that position down for a couple of years. And obviously that storyline diverged. And a lot of what I'm seeing from Whipler though, he's been very good. I don't know if I expected it maybe to be consistently at this level, but I expected just some natural refinement between that first year as a starter, that second year as a starter. And what I think what you're seeing now, when we were talking about Whipler last week, I, I talked about confidence and a guy who prepares this hard and steadies this hard and just lives this game down to his marrow every waking hour of the day and possibly some of the sleeping hours if, if he can. I, I think you're seeing that manifest itself on the field, that this is someone who had prepared himself even going into last year, but because everything's so new and the speed of the game and all the responsibilities you have as a center, and now second year round, it's more like, not only am I prepared, but like I know mentally, emotionally, like I've got this to the point where now he is a stabilizing factor that other people on this team now gravitate to him, look to him to be the tone setter just with the way he plays, the way he talks, the way he acts. And I, I absolutely expect him to be in conversations next year for those awards you're talking about because he checks every box. He's getting it done on the field, but personality and intangibles and leadership and intelligence and all those things. He's going to be a guy that Ohio state can really package and, and market for, for things like that. I don't know if they even have to wait that long. I mean, Ohio state might have the best. I mean, they might win the Joe Moore award. And so for whatever the Remington is worth, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up being a finalist for that, even if he doesn't win it. But since we're throwing out offensive linemen, uh, Donovan Jackson, has the seventh highest PFF grade among guards, and his run blocking grade is fourth, 85.7. And he is moving people all over the place. Yeah. Against Foskey, Paris Johnson did a really good job against Foskey. Part of that is because him and Donovan Jackson were jumping him all night. And he has he's had a couple penalties, but that's fine. He's a true sophomore who is in a first-year starter, so that was going to come with it. But for the most part, he's everything we thought he was. Yeah. And, and again, like that, that almost is an award. The everything we thought he was award. It's like, yeah. you were a five star. We thought you'd be good and you are good. Let's have mm-hmm. an award for that. So, I mean, I think that is, again, the way, Kevin, left tackle next year. the way Kevin Wilson has talked about Donovan Jackson, like there's no ceiling to me on Donovan Jackson mm-hmm. because, I mean, this guy has a rare combination. And Nathan, you wrote the big story on him, right? A rare combination of physical gifts and mental acuity and like he he is from the top of his head to the to his toes nathan like built for this and super mature and poised and handling himself and as a true sophomore again i just i just don't think we see a ceiling on this guy nathan yeah and i know that we had several months back had discussions about well if Worst case scenario, maybe he could move out to left tackle in 2023 if Ohio State needs it. And I'm more convinced than ever that this offensive line would be worse off if they had to do that. This whole offense would suffer if they had to do that. He is such a weapon at that position and with the things that they can do with him. It's not that he wouldn't go out and play left tackle capably. It's that he would not be probably as good at left tackle as he is as a guard and whoever you put a guard is not going to be, I think anywhere in the realm of a third year Donovan Jackson. 
so they it's even more incentive for Ohio State to figure out a left tackle for next year because if you can just let Donovan Jackson be the essence of what he is the and, and become the best version of what he came here to do it, it what is already a talented offense next year could could thrive even more we've had various conversations a lot over the years like athletic guards man in the run game you get those guys out you watch what the browns do nick chubb is awesome joel petonio and wyatt teller are two incredibly athletic guards and you start pulling those guys and clearing holes and that they can be in space and make blocks on linebackers and that kind of thing you can see donovan jackson he's physical at the point of attack but he has feet you know he can get out and do some stuff so i know what you're saying there nathan that he just that might be what he does best as opposed to trying to be out in space because then out there Maybe he doesn't have the reach. He doesn't quite have the height or the wingspan of some other tackles. And so now he's still a great player, but inside, like he, he can kill people. Um, okay. A lot of good candidates there. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, what are some concerns? What are some outrageous predictions? couple of the things here on our Buckeye Talk mid-season awards. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. All right, Richie, we'll go to you first for this one. Biggest worry for the rest of the season. And and it was almost, I was tempted to just send one thing to the texters and be like, I mean, we all think it's this, right? But the things that I sent to the texters, and it's a little, not particularly nuanced, cornerback play, working out the health and the consistent play at running back that, okay, Trey's been out, Mayan's been out. Are you going to have him? How's it going to work? Just like making sure that gets smoothed out. Making sure the overall defense holds up against playoff level offenses, which really isn't about the defense. It's just maybe asking yourself, have they really been that tested? And then Jackson Smith and Jigba getting healthy. Like if you really think that's super important and that guy, when he comes back, that raises you a level, how big of a deal would be to get him back? Those are the four options I gave Richie. You can go off the board. What do you think is the biggest worry rest of the year? Yeah, so I picked cornerback play. Um, I've considered running back because of the, you know, the, the injury situation there. But I think ultimately, like, I mean, you want to have one of those guys and probably need to have at least one of those guys. But also, I think CJ could just throw it back, just sit back there and throw it to all the five-star guys that he's got. And, and uh, that would beat a lot of teams. Um, so, like, it, that's a concern. But I think the thing I'm most concerned about is the corners because – I know you guys have kind of talked about there's not really a team out there that that it might cause a big issue with. Um, but I, I still think if, you know, 
if they don't get that figured out, um, if they, you know, if, and, and maybe Hancock comes back and he's the answer to everybody's prayers, but um, I don't, I think that that is a big enough issue that on a given day, the best teams in football, even if, you know, Ohio State has the best receiver room in the country, that that still can hurt you enough that if that is not what it should be, that you can end up losing a game by not having the kind of corner black play that you want to win a national championship. I think running back is important, but when you have the receivers that Ohio State does, corner becomes more of an issue to me in the long run. I think this is where we all are, right? Nobody would pick anything other than the cornerback play. Do do we think, Nathan and Steven, is this closer to a nitpick or is this closer to, I think this actually could keep them from winning a national championship when you think about what we expect the cornerback play to yeah. be the rest of the year? I've really been struggling with that in how I want to talk about this when I write about it, when I'm doing analysis, because as I've said before, I really do think like is cornerback play right now worse than some of the defensive positional play was last year, but does it stand out more because all of the other defensive positional play this year has been so solid, like defensive line, really good linebackers, really good safeties, really good. Like everywhere else they're getting it done. It's just cornerback. That's had these like standout obvious moments, a position that's already on an Island is on an even smaller Island. I don't know. It's like the postage stamp size Island or, um, or, or everybody's telescopes in the world or, or, are pointed at that island or however you want to say it. Like it's so the the way that I structured my answer was Jordan Hancock does not improve the cornerback situation that him coming in doesn't either. He can't come back from injury or the injury still holds him back enough that it doesn't infuse more talent into this situation. Cause I really think one of the problems is that these guys have been banged up too. I think that, hurt Denzel Burke. Maybe that was in his head to start the year. Cam Brown just came off of three weeks of not playing and struggles in his first game back. I don't think that's a coincidence. I'm not making excuses for those guys. And I don't think they would want me to, I think they would want to say they want to go in and get the job done regardless, but I think we would be naive to dismiss that as a factor. And yet those three guys, despite their limitations physically right now are still the ones who are winning out in practice and are the ones that this coaching staff feels like have to be on the field the most. So I, I, what I think we've all assumed and we assumed it going into the season and Ryan day validated it this week was that Jordan Hancock was going to be in a three man mix there in some way, either he was going to be the primary guy to go in at one of those two spots, or as Ryan day said, it was going to challenge for a starting job. And if that doesn't ever really come to fruition this year, it does make me wonder if that this whole position is never going to quite elevate. But I do think they this this break week is happening at the perfect time for the cornerbacks because they can really drill on a lot of things this week, get a little bit of a mental break. And there's no position group, though, coming out of the break that's still going to have that scrutiny on them the way the cornerbacks are. That's not going away. And they've got to find a way to, to break through that and and perform, even though everyone is kind of waiting for that next moment when they don't right now. Could it really hold them back, Stephen? Because I do think the idea of is the cornerback play right now worse than 
certain areas of play with the defense last year, which is what Nathan asked. I would say no. I think there's sort of fundamental problems with stopping the run, getting off yeah. blocks, taking bad angles, you know, sort of fundamental stuff and keeping leverage on the outside. I thought there were fundamental things that showed up in the scheme last year. And then also you didn't know that they had the talent to fix it either. It felt like those two things were working in concert to create a problem this year. I don't think, and but Knowles has talked a lot about like, am I, and I, am I putting them on an Island too much? Am I putting them in too many situations to lose 50, 50 balls? Do I have to look at that? It doesn't feel like it's a scheme issue. And I don't look at the corners. I don't look at Denzel Burke and Cam Brown and JK Johnson and the guys who have played and think, Oh no, that's not, I can't, the talent's not there. I don't think that they're just not playing their best right now, Steven. So I do think it's much more fixable than sort of any of the defensive issues they had a year ago. It's more of a, it's not a scheme issue. Cause as they said repeatedly, they're right there. They're just not making the play. It's not as bad as last year, because I think last year with the not being able to stop the run, we could point to the teams who are going to expose that. And two of those, two of the maybe four or five teams who could have exposed it, did it so well that they actually ended up winning. I don't think there's a team out there right now who can expose it to the level where it ends up winning a game. And so it, it because it's like the end of a play. You mean, in the like Big you mean the on Big the regular Ten. season schedule? Yes. Yeah. When we get to the playoff, that's a whole, yeah, that's a whole different piece. Well, I mean, but it is, it is, a, it is a conversation of, will it keep them from winning a national title? So the con it does extend to is Bryce Young or Caleb Williams or DJ Uyunglele. Right. But I think but that's even the, going to tear them apart. Yeah. But even that like plays into some of this because last year they couldn't even get on the stage to play for a national title because it was so bad. I don't think it's that bad this year. And it, I, it's just, I, I'm wondering how hurt Denzel Burke and Cameron Brown were, especially Burke, because it felt like Cameron Brown hadn't played in two weeks. And so he was out there pushing it and forcing it. And so it led to a bunch of like really bad penalties and, you know, giving up some stuff and it kind of piled on itself to the point of there's literally, if you're, when I was rewatching the game, they show him, he's slamming his helmet up against the bleachers and Ryan Day's having to go calm him down. That seemed like a guy who was forcing it. It seems like ever since Denzel Burke got hurt against Michigan State, he's been a little hesitant to be physical with guys, whether it's because of the shoulder or now it's the thing that's going on with his hand. Maybe it's just as simple as you mean Denzel, Michigan State last year, Michigan State yeah, last year, because yeah. even in the Michigan game, it, he was kind of not really physical and against Utah, not really physical. So maybe with Denzel Burke, some of this answer is simply let that kid get healthy so he can get out of his own head. And then you pop Jordan Hancock back into that whenever that happens. And Jordan Hancock's the guy that not only raises the ceiling, but more importantly, raises the floor. And that's how I explained it was the, my biggest worry is the cornerbacks don't get healthy and or raise their floor. Cause then that's an issue. If you've got to spend this entire year with Cameron Brown's playing every other game. So he's fortunate because he's trying to make up for lost time while Denzel Burke is still hesitant to be physical because his hand is maybe hurting him a little bit or his shoulders hurting him a little bit. It is mostly in comparison to everything else they're doing well that the corner play stands out. EPA, it's it's sort of a stat that takes into account situations and the level of opponent. It's an, it's an adjusted expected points per play stat that is just kind of a, a, an analytical number. Looking at that, Ohio State is first in the nation in overall offense. They are first in passing offense and second in rushing offense. So that's not holding them back. Overall, they are 12th in defense 
They are 12th also in rush defense, and they are 32nd in pass defense. They're not 111th. Right. They're not 89th, but they're 32nd compared to everything else they do really well. Uh, Georgia is 33rd in pass defense right now. Right. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the thing we're talking about. It's mostly in comparison to themselves because they don't have a whole lot of weaknesses right now. You really they do not have weaknesses on offense. The play calling that people at sometimes have been like, oh, why doesn't Ryan get to this? It feels like the play calling's hit a rhythm. CJ Stroud is totally in control. The offensive line is playing great. They have two running backs. They have a, a, a high level tight end. And they have absolutely the best receiver talent in the country. Great. Defensive line playing really well, schemed up well. You can see the great individual talent, the linebacker, the safety play. This, it's only, we have, like, if we didn't have this, Nathan, we wouldn't even ask the question. Because it'd be like, oh, what's the thing you're worried about? It's like, I don't know, alien abductions? There's nothing else to be worried about because they're good at everything. So they are very, very, very good at almost everything. And then in their past defense, they're like more like, okay, with some issues at times. And then again, they haven't played great quarterbacks necessarily. So it's, it's not disastrous. It's just compared to everything else. Yeah. And even I was the one going in the season saying that this top 10 defense stuff was really, you know, whatever, let Ryan Day say that, let that be what they're aspiring to, but really, you know, Top 25, even top 30 is probably good enough. If this offense does what it's going to do, and we, the offense is even in some ways, it's it's at least ex- the best of what we expected, if not exceeding that, then that 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 level of defense is going to be good enough. And this pass defense would, as those numbers would indicate, is still kind of in that range. So even if the whole, but, but the whole defense has pushed beyond that. You know, I was citing some stats today and what I wrote about the cornerbacks that, you know, football outsiders defense thing. I think they're like 12th nationally for the whole defense. When you start adjusting for opponent and things like that, they're eighth in ESPN's SP plus defense score like this. This kind of is a top 10 defense for, for, you know, as much as we kind of rolled our eyes at Ryan Day saying that before the season. Now, some tougher things are coming up, some tougher tests, Penn State, Michigan, Maryland, whatever. And then whatever happens beyond that. But the, the baseline for the rest of this defense is helping absorb the struggles that this cornerback group has. And, it you know, the best case scenario right now is that the cornerbacks become the defensive version of the Jackson Smith and Jigba thing where the, it's everything is good enough right now to win. And now you're adding something better on top of that. Like if the cornerbacks do elevate their play and you take that away as like this liability I mean, just fill it, finish the sentence on your own there, right? I mean, that's yeah. this becomes a really complete team. Okay. Let's do how many, and I, I need to clarify, first team, mm, all Big okay. Ten players we think Ohio State will have this year. Because second team is great, third team is great. First team, all Big Ten players for Ohio State this year. Uh, Nathan, we'll start with you. They had five last year so how many do you think it'll be and let's run through who you think it will be so i only listed seven which seemed a little light to me but it makes sense i i picked stroud marvin harrison jr paris johnson 
um, Dewan Jones, uh, Mike Hall, Tommy Eichenberg, and Ronnie Hickman. And I actually think I probably I, – I haven't looked like position for position. I want to put Whipler on there too. I just can't remember if they do – if it's just five offensive linemen or if they do it position by position in – the big 10 voting. Oh yeah. I don't know. I think you got to have a center. I can double check that. So that's seven. Yeah. Okay. It's at least seven. I, I, and I, I I didn't put more receivers on there because while Ibuka would certainly warrant it right now, if Smith, the comes back and plays half a season, how does that change numbers and things like that? Like Steven said before, I think Harrison's production will still be there. It could affect the Bukas. If you bring back Smith and Jigba and the running back, they're just splitting things up too much. I, I I don't know that either one of them can be first team. They do do a center, two guards, two tackles for offensive okay. line. It's not just five guys. So that makes so you want to put Whipler on or no? It makes me probably want to put Whipler on there in place of one of those tackles. Because I think yeah. you're right. I think Skaronsky is going to be one of those tackles. So I would maybe put Whipler on there and take off Jones, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. he's PJ. also, the, yeah, I would, I would probably PJ. put. Paris, Paris will get on ahead of one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that brings it to seven. Richie, what do you think of the number here? Um, you going a lot higher, you're going a lot lower. Is about right. Actually, I had seven too, and my list was pretty similar to Nathan's. I had Stroud, I had Marvin Harrison Jr., I had Emeka Ibuka, I had Mike Hall, Tommy Eichenberg, Paris Johnson, and Ronnie Hickman were my seven uh, that I picked. And and one of those things again, it's like who deserves to be first team right. all big 10 and who was going to get picked for first team all big 10 by either the coaches or the media, Steven, what was your number? So um, I sent a longer list in our email, obviously, cause I wasn't sure if we were just doing first team or not, but my actual first team people, I had eight. So I had one more than uh, Richie and Nathan had Stroud, Marvin, Paris, Luke, Whipler, Michael, Tommy Eichenberg, Ronnie Hickman, and I added Donovan Jackson as well. I think Ohio State can sneak three offensive linemen on there because I think people are going to, you know, I, I know there's some voters are dumb, but Paris and Dewan, that tandem is moving people on the, in the run game, and they're also protecting CJ's backside. And I think people might pay attention to that a little bit. Offensive line's hard. Peter Skarasi is going to make it because he yeah. came in with that. So he's going to take one of the tackle spots from Northwestern. Cause he's a, an NFL guy interior offensive line. I mean, it's like people fill out this ballot in 20 minutes. It, it's going to be difficult. I do think it's going to be interesting to watch the receiver position. Cause we've seen this enough times. We saw it last year, right. With David bill um, that when you sort of are the guy and the, the guy that I think is worth watching is another Purdue receiver. It's Charlie Jones who transferred from Iowa and is the, the guy in the Purdue passing game. Emeka is first in the Big Ten and receiving yards per game at 109. Jones is second at 100. And so it's going to be interesting, uh, and again, how things shake down when Jackson comes back. But I think it, the bottom line, you're talking about 22 spots on offense and defense, and like we're talking about Ohio State will have potentially seven or eight of them. That's like you know a third of the league. It's kind of hard to, whoa, should have had 14. It's like, well, I mean, come on, that's not going to happen. So I, I think this is, I think this is right. And I do think the thing, Nathan, that's one of those interesting things. There's a guy at each level of the defense, which is kind of like a little ding, ding, ding of you got yeah. a guy up front. You got a guy at linebacker. You got a guy in the secondary. And that's a good sign. It's, it's exactly what we thought they needed coming into the year that when we looked at last year's defense, 
it was devoid of real star power. There was like some names, some guys who we knew from recruiting that should be better. There were some guys who um, had been around, like, you know, Zach Harrison was well-regarded, but was he a star? Like they needed star power. And now like Tommy Eichenberg is a star in the big 10. Mike Hall is a star in the big 10. You could probably argue that Ronnie Hickman, is now a star in the Big Ten now that he's doing this for his second year. That may be the one that's like the the most of a – it was supposed to be Denzel Burke. There's some, but, you know, the whole secondary and what it's doing with, with Jim Knowles is getting that respect. So they they needed it. That was – it was going to be a detriment and a, a potential hindrance to being a championship-level team if they didn't start getting some of that. As good as it is that there's a guy at every level, it's, I'm just impressed that there's a guy. Because if we'd have did this after six weeks last year, it had just been all offensive players. No, that's true. Um, yeah, just a guy. Can they have one? <laughs> Could they get one first team all Big Ten defensive player? Can we? I want to have a very brief conversation because it is not at all critical. But I think we literally maybe have not said his name yet. And when we were doing things like this in the preseason, we were saying this guy's name a ton. And it's JT Tumalowau, who we thought might be a first-team All-American. And we just ran through and did not even consider him, really, for first-team All-Big Ten. The production stats, Stephen, just are not there. He's, like, grabbing his helmet and driving himself crazy because he's getting close to sacks. He's flushing quarterbacks into Mike Hall so Mike Hall can get a sack. But he's not putting up the numbers himself. I think he's playing pretty well. We've sort of had this ongoing discussion of, you know, pressure versus production. You got to get home. Well, actually, they're not teams aren't throwing that much. So actually, the sack rate, which Nathan has written about, is actually pretty high. But we did think, Stephen, that maybe JT was going to have like a sophomore season like Joey Bosa had. And he hasn't had that. So I don't want to imply at all that he's a disappointment or a surprise or anything. But we thought maybe he would be the guy who looks like the Big Ten defensive player of the year at the midway point of the season. And we're just not at that point. Yeah, he leads the team in total pressures with 14. So I think he is, he's getting held a lot, man. So it's hard. And so it's throwing off what he maybe should have had four or five sacks by now, if he hadn't been getting held. Now, not every time has been as egregious as what we saw against Michigan state, but I do think that what he is doing has, and Nathan alluded to earlier because Barry Johnson said it, it's freeing up Mike Hall to be one-on-one and do and get the actual tangible numbers. So I don't think JT has been a disappointment. I just think the reputation of edge rushers at Ohio state because of Larry Johnson, plus what he's actually doing, it's just leading to him getting held in double team. And so it's allowing the interior guys to actually get stats, but I think he's right on pace. It's just the ten, without the tangible stats, he doesn't get the, Oh, first team, all big 10. Maybe he's an all American conversation. Of note, by the way, because we were really curious about how this would work out in the preseason, snaps for the defensive ends at the halfway point, JT Tumaloa, 160, Jack Sawyer, 159, Zach Harrison, 139, Javante Jean-Baptiste, 130. So, Nathan, they've they've divided it up pretty well. And again, it, it is nothing close to a criticism of JT. Um, and again, you wrote about the sack rate, and it's just, it's it's hard to get awards and make teams if you don't have the raw stats because the average person voting for that kind of thing is not going to go by pressures and look at how often you got held. So it's just a reality. Yeah. Um, you're 
bringing this up right now completely steps all over my outrageous prediction. Can we just go right into Let's that? Let's go to it. All right. So <laughs> we'll go to our outrageous predictions and you go ahead with yours. Well, right now, JT Tuomaloao has, I'm going to double check this. I believe this is correct. Zero sacks. That is correct. Mike Hall Jr. leads his team with four and a half sacks. My outrageous prediction is that JT Tuomaloao leads Ohio State in sacks in 2022 still. That the back end of this season, partially because of what we're already seeing, and I mentioned this the first time a couple weeks ago, it might have been after the Toledo game, that they're right there. Like these defensive ends, and, and Tuomaloao in particular, are right there a lot. And it it just wasn't, it, it's just been like a step off. And I think some of that, like Larry Johnson was explaining, like the opposing defenses are chipping a lot and, and giving those ends extra attention. And it's sometimes just harder to get home that way. I think that and now that Mike Hall has become a thing, and if you get him through this week healthier, and now he starts playing a bigger complement of snaps going forward, like every down snaps going forward, that's going to have to change how offenses try to block Ohio State. And that's going to free guys up on the edge. And I just feel like Tuma Loau is on the verge of something. It, it, it For him to have some game where he just has like four sacks wouldn't shock me. I like that. That's a really good outrageous prediction because it's sort of outrageous on the face, but not really outrageous at all in the execution of it. Um, by the way, I think the three of us all picked Jack Sawyer to lead this team in sacks at the beginning of the year, I think with like seven or seven and a half or eight or something like that. He has two through six mm-hmm. games. Uh, Richie, what is your outrageous prediction for the Buckeyes for the rest of the season? Yeah. So I try to think outside the box a little bit because, um, you know, you could say they win the national championship, but that's, I don't think crazy or straddle throw 90 touchdowns, but that's not, you know, I mean, so I, I, I went something that I hope doesn't happen and might make, people mad at me and I'm kind of mad at myself for saying, um, but I think, yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, but I think I'm a a little bit concerned. Um, and tell me guys, tell me what you think about this, but I'm a little bit concerned about everything has gone so smoothly with the offense, particularly the passing offense. And I think one of the reasons why is because nobody came into the season like we have to target that guy, right? I mean, Marvin Harrison kind of had a really, he, you know, he had a good Rose Bowl, but the other guys, you know, we didn't really know what we we're going to get from Julian Fleming. We kind of assumed Abuka was going to be good, you know, number one receiver in his class, but, but nobody was like deserving of anything. And Jackson Smith and Jigba comes into the season as, you know, pretty widespread held as the best receiver in college football. I certainly think that he is. And so, my prediction is that he's going to come back and they may struggle a little bit to keep the flow going because I'm, I'm afraid he's going to be a guy, though I don't think he has this personality. I think he might be a guy that they feel like not only because coming into this year, he was expected to be the best receiver, but because he's been hurt. And so we want to make sure that he gets some touches. So right now, CJ Stroud just looks out and he's like, whoever's open, I can throw it to you. I don't have to worry about, you know, like back whenever um, the season that it was 2015, when you had uh, the quarterbacks Barrett and, and Cardo Jones going back and forth. And it felt like they had to get the ball to people, you know, and right now it doesn't feel like that. And I just wonder if 
you put Smith and Jigba, and I know that this is crazy to say. I mean, to put the best receiver in college football back in the best receiving room in college football, that they'll struggle. And if they struggle, I'm talking about like a quarter maybe. But I, I wonder if there's going to be a little bit of an upset in the flow of the offense because they feel like they have to target Smith and Jigba to get him going, whereas for the last six weeks, it's just like let it rip when there's somebody there. So my outrageous prediction is that for like maybe a quarter against Iowa, um, they'll struggle a little bit with the offense to get things figured out when they put Smith and Jigba back in the offense. I never believed, I never believed stuff like this before 2015, like the too much talent argument. Like, what are you talking about? And then it absolutely affected them in 2015. They were forcing the ball to Braxton Miller in situations. They were trying to get, oh, what, you know, Urban was counting touches and that kind of thing. And like, it, it really did, I think, hinder that offense. Steven, what do you think of this idea? Is it something to be, should it be on our radar at all? Again, especially knowing the relationship that CJ and Jackson have, not that CJ would go too far with it, but what do you think of this idea? I don't hate it. I understand where it's coming from, mainly because we've literally seen Ohio State have that issue before. I think my only pushback, and I actually, I probably would have had the same concept as you coming into the season, but in talking with some other people about CJ, yes, the Jackson connection is real. That's everything that I made it out to be basically for the last six months. But also CJ just wants everybody to eat. And he'll, there were times in high school where he'd like tell coaches, Hey, we need to run this play because our running back doesn't have a touchdown yet. Or, Hey, this guy doesn't have a touchdown or he doesn't have a catch yet. And so it seemed CJ approaches football like a point guard. And so he knows who needs to get what and when they need to get it. And so I don't think we'll run into that issue as much, but then also they're not Jackson Smith and Jigba. I don't think he's going to get thrown out there and be going 60 miles per hour from day one. I do think there's going to be some weeks of buildup where maybe against Iowa, he has three catches for 45 yards and he's on some type of pitch count. And then the next week it gets up a little bit more. And then by the time we get to the Penn state game, he's full go. And then we see Jackson to its highest glory. But I understand where you're coming from with that. If we were talking about a situation where it's like, hey, Jackson's actually been healthy for three weeks. They were just waiting to play somebody solid after the bye week. And so let's just get him out there and let's start running as they calls him the Jackson plays. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. There's going to be a small buildup, which I'm going to get into mine because it's kind of segues into it. My my number is outrageous because that's what we're doing here, but it's just because I wanted to make a point of Ohio State has four guys with at least 800 receiving yards. And it's because Marvin and Emeka are already – pretty much there they just need to keep doing what they're doing they're probably both going to have a thousand julian fleming has turned into a deep ball touchdown magnet and so i think that'll continue to come within the flow of the offense especially if they get 15 games in and then as i was talking about with jackson because they're going to be slow playing him to start things it allows everybody else to still eat but then jackson is still jackson so there's still going to be those 12 catch 200 yard 180 yard games out there for him to I mean, they might play nine games, and he basically used nine games last year to go crazy and end up breaking some catching yard records last year. Why can't he do the same thing this year? I like it. I I, I could see the path that, again, the, the way it's shaken out this year with Jackson being out and letting all those guys um, sort of break free like that, and, and now even if they dial back and Jackson gets his, I, I could see us getting to that point. Uh, I had a hard time trying to figure out a statistical thing because so so mine is this mine is that jordan hancock starts the michigan game 
And maybe that's not even outrageous enough, Nathan, but I mean, maybe we would all just like predict that, but we think that maybe, okay, how are they going to get this figured out? Well, it's the guy that they've been talking about. I'm just figuring that he'll be back and he'll be back with enough time to show what he can do. And by the end of the year, when they need it, he'll be starting. Does that, is that even outrageous enough, Nathan? Yeah, because I think it's important to make a distinction that he will win a starting job for the Michigan yes, game yeah, as opposed yeah, to because yeah. these guys Not have been banged up injury. And, for, right. Right. Well, you don't have to predict them. They're injured. So like they've been playing through injury. So um, I don't think that's outrageous at all, really. I think it's a I think Ohio State's coaches are are looking at what's happening with the cornerbacks right now. And thinking the thing that's going the most wrong is that they don't have Jordan Hancock to put on the field instead. I they, like it. They've, they've come out, yeah. out and said that almost basically at yeah. this point. I like it because, yes, they said all that, but then he might get on the field and he might be like 2% better than we've already seen these other guys be. So you're basing that totally off of his recruiting ranking, our preseason expectations, and then how the coaches have talked about him. Because we have not actually seen him play football since the spring game. A lot, a lot of what the coaches are saying about him. Yeah, so this is like almost – it's the perfect outrageous prediction because of that. Because it's based on nothing, Buckeye talk. But it's just just words. But it's, it's not his fault. He mm-hmm. just hasn't, he hasn't played. So, um, okay. Before we go, Richie, when we were discussing having you on, you won your way on to Buckeye talk. I hope it has been the spectacular experience. It's like, you could have won a car. You could have won a trip. And instead you won 90 minutes with three ding-dongs. And we whatever, just kept the bro. car on the trip. Yeah. We kept the car, right? <laughs> we didn't even tell people those were options. Yeah. We, kept, yeah. It was sponsored by Chrysler, but yeah, we kept it. Uh, you had some ideas maybe for a podcast thing. One of them was about the playoff. Explain what you're thinking there, and we'll bat that around here a little bit before we go. Okay, so let me preface it by saying that the only time that I'm enjoying a game of Ohio State football is when we're up by like four touchdowns. Any other circumstance, I'm pretty much miserable, right? So it's this weird experience of, Waiting, you know, the longest off season in sports, waiting for it, can't wait, talking about it all the time. And then we get to the games and it's like, if we're, the, I mean, the Notre Dame game was just pain, you know, and part of the reason is because there's it, unlike any other sport or any other regular season in sports, you, if you lose a game, um, there's at least the question of, is this going to end up becoming, you know, is this going to, affect us to the degree that we don't get in the playoff and so like last year when we lose to Oregon and what was that the second game of the year it's like you know the build-up to that whole season you're so excited you lose to Oregon and then it's like you know well maybe our season's over and that's a, a horrible place to be as a fan and so I was thinking you know the playoff is expanding and I know that there's kind of a split uh, perspective on this. And this is really, I mean, this is coming from a, a, a fan's perspective, probably, you know, more than a media perspective, because I know most media people are watching the game, you know, from a, a media standpoint and not necessarily a fan standpoint. But uh, the reason why I am in favor of, and I'm glad that we're going to a 12 team playoff is not because I ever want to see Ohio state lose. Um, but for the sake of knowing, like for the sake of, like my health, like not having a heart attack and my yeah. wife, like um, not yelling at me during the game, stop pacing, sit down and watch it. You know, it's just football. Um, 
uh, like, so we went to the Penn State game last year, and uh, I had been to a couple spring games, uh, but had never been to a game that big. And it was an awesome experience. The whole day was great. Went to the skull session, had a great time. And we're in the game, and my wife is having a blast. Now, I haven't eaten since breakfast because I'm so nervous. And we're watching the game, and she's dancing around, having a good time. And she looks over at me, and she's like, are you having fun? And I'm like, I am miserable right now. Because because the game was basically not in hand for pretty much the entire game. And so I could not, I mean, I hadn't eaten since breakfast. I could not have eaten anything in that moment. And then the moment that CJ Stroud took a knee and I knew we were going to win, I was famished. I was like, we got to find some food. And every single game is that experience for me as a fan. Um, And so not that I ever want to see Ohio State lose a game or that I would ever root for that. But the fact that, you know, I might actually be able to sit down and eat something while we're watching a game or, you know, not worrying about the, the pains in my arm, you know, if I'm going to have a heart attack or not. The, the, the fact that to be able to say we can lose this game and probably Ohio State is always going to get in the playoff. Um, maybe that's a different perspective. I know it's a fan perspective and I'm not like I said, I would never root for Ohio State to lose a game. But the the possibility of knowing, like, I mean, Ohio State is, correct me if I'm wrong, the only team that would have been in every playoff that they've yeah. had. Yeah. And so the, the fact of knowing, like, hey, we're going to be in every game. And also, you know, I, I do think it's a little bit insane that, and I know that the college is different than professional sports, but the fact that there's 130 some odd teams and you decide it with four. And look, I, I get it that probably in the grand scheme of things, there's only three or four teams who can ever win it. But expanding it, seeing the excitement of that, um, having a couple more games that Ohio State might get to play and knowing, hey, an early season loss like Oregon last year, like I don't have to sit up in the middle of the night staring at my ceiling thinking is, is, is everything is the world falling apart because Ohio State lost a game. So for that reason, and again, I know that's a fan perspective, I'm, I'm excited about there being a 12-team playoff for the expansion of it so that there's more of an opportunity, but also knowing pretty much every year when we go into a season, Ohio State's going to be in the playoff. And I get that some people don't like that because they think that it ruins the, the regular season or it puts a damper on it or whatever. I don't think so because of, we only get 12 regular season games anyway. So I already think that there's a small enough size that every game is always going to be exciting. So that's just my perspective. I'm in favor of and excited about the expanded playoff, but I think it's less of an analytical reason and more of like my heart as a fan reason. So I don't know if that registers. I think that it may register with fans. I don't know how that registers with you guys, but that's just my perspective. Well, so, I mean, the thing that I have been written as saying is like, won't you miss that? That's the thing of like, won't you right. miss the shooting pain down your arm while you're watching your favorite sports team? Because, but actually, no, you won't miss that. And Nathan, I will say, Richie, you kept saying it's a fan's perspective. You know whose perspective that is? Ryan Day's. Ryan Day is like, I can't eat. My heart's going to explode. Are you? T- we lost one game in September and we're out. What kind of world is this? So Nathan, I don't think that's a... I don't think that's an unusual perspective. This is like for the no, people in the building, they're they're a thousand percent on board with this. I don't think anyone I shouldn't say I don't think anyone. I just don't think a lot of people are gonna miss the anxiety. What I do think people could miss though is that next emotion you're talking about, that next feeling you're talking about of the achievement when you win a game like that, 
does that get diminished? Does it mean less to win those close games or those really hard fought games in the regular season, maybe especially against Michigan and Penn state, because you're not putting them down the way you are now. Like when you, when Ohio state beats them in the regular season, now it's like, all right, we did that and we're done with them. Whereas now in the playoff era, you're going to have to experience all that same anxiety again. And you don't get the same sense of, um, of victory because they could be coming back at you in the playoff. I will say it feels like, and this has come out, I think, Richie, from several fans talking about this, that that contained three and a half hours. It's such an experience unto itself. I think we're constantly thinking as we analyze it, well, what does the win mean? Is it good enough? What's next? I do think sometimes as we do that, Richie, we might lose sight of, all right, maybe you beat Penn State. Maybe you will face Penn State in the playoff down the road. But like I loved Ohio State beating them in that three and a half hours. And that was great. And that kind of was all I cared about. And so if you remove some large degree of the anxiety, you actually aren't removing much of the joy because my team won and beat a rival. But if you take out like I'm not I'm not going to feel like I'm sick to my stomach if they lose, I can see how it it. It's a win both ways, Richie, right? It's, it's an overall, it, it increases the experience. Yeah, and I, I do totally get Nathan's perspective. And I, I, I do think um, I, I see that like, hey, we, we beat them when we were ranked, you know, two and they were ranked three or whatever. But I think like from a fan's perspective, so I'm, you know, I'm a Cardinals fan. They play 162 games a season. So ultimately, you know, if they, if they drop a game on a random Tuesday in the middle of July, it's not going to matter for the possibly for the big scheme, but, uh, but I'm definitely like, if we lose, I'm angry, you know, and I'm, I'm picking out all of the things they did wrong. And, and so I, like, I, I think um, in the grand scheme of things, like say Ohio state had a bad, so the year that um, the, after Tatgate happened and we were six and seven and it was, gosh, what a ro- it was a roller coaster, but every single game, even though I knew that we, we're not going to have a chance to play for anything substantial at the end of the season. And even in the season where we didn't get to get into the postseason, um, Urban's, I think it was Urban's first year, um, still every game I was like on the edge of my seat um, because I think recruiting is such a big deal within college sports that isn't in, I mean, recruiting is almost a sport into in and of itself and the way that I follow it and the way that fans follow it, that's not a part of pro sports. And so I think, everything kind of funnels back into that. And so like how good you're doing, but, but I mean, Michigan is a game that if we lost every game, I would still be like, this is huge because it's Michigan. And so it would be like, from the fans perspective, it's like every game does matter. I'm just glad. And and I think I will still see every victory the same. I'm just glad that like, I'm not going to have to be popping tums, you know, through throughout the whole game. uh, If, you know, to know that we still have a chance to get into playoff, even if we drop a game or maybe two. I will say, Stephen, I think from a, our perspective as we cover it, I have enjoyed covering a sport where every single game matters. There's no such thing as a loss that you can brush off. And in every other sport, you can. I covered Major League Baseball, and it's like, hey, I showed up today, covered this game. The team I covered won or lost, and actually it did not really matter because it's one of 162 and the NBA is like that. And the NFL is like that to some degree to a much greater degree than college football is. So I think the, the intensity of each game, Stephen, I think, I think it enhances it to me, but also like 
I'm not ready to puke if they lose, Stephen. So, I mean, I can understand from a fan's perspective. And again, we're here for the fans. If it, if the joy is still the same and the anxiety is lessened, then that's a victory for the 12-team playoffs, Stephen, right? College football is the only sport where everything is so macro because you don't have time to focus on the little details because, yeah, Ohio State won 45 to 21, but should they have won 56 to 10? Because if they can't be this team 56 to 10, then what does it mean when you play Alabama or when you finally do get those big time programs and home and home situations that make those games so much bigger? I think every it's fine that fans are going to feel like we don't have to puke after every Saturday anymore, because not only did our not only is all 12 regular season games no longer just a playoff game, but you can breathe a little easier. But I wonder what the reaction is going to be the first time you play Michigan twice. Because, yeah, you as Richie just said it, you're still going to put all your energy into we want to beat Michigan because that's Michigan. Does that lose a little flavor when two weeks later you're playing them again? Well, I mean, it, it is going to be, it depends. If Ohio State lost to Michigan the first time, then it's be like, great, playing right. Michigan again. If Ohio State but beat then, Michigan the first time, I might be like, oh, why we got to do this again? Yeah, but then, but what if you split it though? What if you win the first one, but you lose in the playoff or vice versa? Then it's like, it almost yeah, turns, it's, 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 it's like the Browns and the Steelers. Like, you know, the, that's a rivalry right there, but it's, you're going to play them twice and you might even play them again in the playoff if you both make it. But the Browns hate the Steelers every time. Yep. Like Browns fans hate the Steelers every time. There's not a game where they say, well, you know, I don't quite hate them as much this time. They hate them every time. So, I mean, it is, it's going to be an adjustment for everybody, but I do think, I think maybe I had undersold that the lessening of that anxiety, right? That the do or die as much as like, Oh, the whole great, the great thing about college football is that every game matters and one loss can ruin your season. But the terrible thing for fans about college football is that one loss can ruin your season. So maybe to come out of that world, We'll just keep everybody a little happier on Saturdays if it doesn't go your way. Richie, you got to be behind the scenes here, Buckeye Talk, to see the magic, how the magic happens. Are you amazed by how we pull this together five days a week? Or is it like, oh, it's just three guys on a Zoom. Literally any person in the world with an internet connection and a $200 laptop could do what these knuckleheads do. No, listen, you, this, like, I know that you guys as – as media, you have a job to do. And maybe like to you, it, it kind of becomes like a job. But for me, this is like one of the coolest experiences because um, getting to, so one of the things about living, you know, in Missouri and not getting to go to Ohio very often is that my conversation with people about Ohio state is usually them. Like you're an idiot for liking Ohio state, you know, and I'm <laughs> kind of having to defend myself for liking Ohio state. So to get to talk to people who are there and also it's, it's kind of like uh, vicariously living through you guys, because, you know, you, you probably go to, I mean, you guys have all of these team meetings where you go and ask guys questions. And for you, it's like, I, 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 maybe I'm wrong, but um, you know, you go and, and there's CJ Stroud. And for you, it's like, yeah, you know, we kind of talk to him. If I was, if I saw CJ Stroud and somebody asked me to, and I had to ask him a question, I'd be like, uh, you know, because that I'm starstruck, right? That's, that's CJ Stroud. So to get to be a part of this and like, I just appreciate so much what you guys do. I mean, it, it lets, it's another outlet again. Like I said, whenever I was a kid, I mean, we had none of this, right. We had to pay pay-per-view if you wanted to watch games. Now, every fan of every team has so much information, has so many opportunities and since you guys have gone to like when you guys were, when you were just once a week 
man, I was like jonesing, you know, I was like, I, I can't wait until I get to the, the next buck I talk. So um, the, since you guys have gone to five days a week, it's like awesome. You know, while I'm studying and stuff, I have you guys on. And so, so maybe, you know, for you, it's become kind of a, a job, but for me, it's like a dream experience as a fan to get to come on here and like, you know, be part of this thing that, you know, a lot of people listen to and give kind of a fan's perspective. And so for me, I've been looking forward to it. Like ever since I got the email that you're coming on, it's like, this is, you know, like my wife, like her thing is going to Disney world. Like me coming on Buckeye Talk is my, it's my Disney world, right? That's when, Oh, next time your wife can win a trip to Disney world with me. That'll be the next prize. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot you're a big Disney world guy, but yeah, like for her, for, for, you know, for you guys are probably just like, this is whatever. But for me, Buckeye Talk is my Disney world. Like getting to come on here and talk to you guys about that is the nicest thing that anyone could ever say oh oh i can feel i'm feeling the tingles (laughs) in my body like you do when uh when ohio state's losing in the fourth quarter yes buckeye talk is my disney world yeah whoo that's as good as it gets brother yeah Um, so it's been it's been an honor for me for real and an, an awesome opportunity to get to come on here and hang out with you guys so i appreciate it well i like that you came on here for two hours and just talked about football with with mm-hmm. the three of us, which is literally meaningless. And now you're going to go out and talk to people and shape their lives and help their spiritual guidance through the world. And uh, we're just going to keep doing this. Yeah, so for like, sure. we're just, we're just going to be doing, we're just gonna yep. be doing this and you're going to actually help people. So Richie, you were tremendous. Um, thank you so much for uh, joining us here on this Buckeye talk, you know, stick around in March folks. You can, you can get in the bracket and win a chance to be on Buckeye talk. Uh, eight months after the NCAA tournament. What a joy <laughs> that could be for the next person who gets to win this. By week this week, Friday pod, Tishu and I will break down some games, make some picks. Saturday pod, we're going to like sort of re-rank like the top 30 guys on the roster and see what's different from what we had in the preseason. For now, for our great guest, Richie Kybers, for Stephen Means, for Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was... Fuck I talk.